Where do we start? I'll tell you about the first time I fell in love. It was in 1948. I was at the corner store, and there she was, the most beautiful thing no, I he, ever saw. He was saw. at the church potluck. There wasn't a man in town that day who didn't stop and take a second look. What? All red and shiny. Oh, you're talking about that car, aren't you? It was a 1948 Cadillac. It had the whole town in an uproar. Dear, do you have anything to say about our love? Ethel, I was telling this young man about my first love, not my greatest love. <laughs> love is that gushy feeling you get when that vision of beauty walks through the door and takes your breath away. Like when I met Ethel. She walked across that church lawn in her Easter dress. My heart skipped a beat. <laughs> very sweet, dear. But after a year or two of marriage, my heart stopped skipping. Yeah, well, that's hard to believe. You should have seen me back then. I was strong as an ox and good-looking, too. Yes, you were a sight. <laughs> well, how about all those women you had to fight through to get to me? <laughs> Huh? I remember once when we were at a party, well, it was just a few years ago, and all the men were poking fun at their wives, you know, ridiculing them for spending too much money or, or complaining about how they were always running late. Well, it was all in fun, but it was getting a little nasty. And then Norm spoke up. Norm always cracked a joke, so I didn't know what he was going to say. But he looked straight at me, and then he said to the whole room that I was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, and he didn't regret one minute he'd spent with me. Oh, you should have seen the look on all those women's faces. I felt like a queen for the rest of the night. <laughs> and it sure paid off later that night. Oh, no. <laughs> You don't love a woman because she's beautiful. A woman is beautiful because you love her. Oh. How could anyone ask for more? <laughs>
and next week and the week after as we talk about it. My prayer is, is that the Lord himself will be that light into your home. It's been 12 days since mom, dad, Eric, Janie and Melissa Morgan had a meal together. No, dad's not out of town and he's not angry with anyone. He's not trying to hide. It it, it wasn't planned that way. It just kind of happened that way. They just figure that it's just the way life is today. You see Eric's bus leaves for high school at 7.05. Janie leaves for middle school at 7.40 a.m. Mom takes Melissa to elementary school at 8.45. She's off to work. She works three-quarter time so she can be with the children. In reality, the only time she is with the children is in the van. She feels more like a taxi cab driver than a mom. (coughs) Janie's the top acrobatic and jazz dancer in her troupe has advanced dance class after school on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays until six with an occasional Saturday morning rehearsal thrown in. Eric's high school baseball team is off to a two and seven start. They're practicing overtime every day and it, except on days when there's games. Melissa wants to be a dancer like her older sister, Janie. So she practices with the beginner group as soon as Janie's class is over. Well, Monday night, there's stuff going on at church. Wednesday night, there's church and midweek services. And Sunday night, there's life groups and, and gatherings. And almost every Friday or Saturday night, at least one of the children is spending the night with a friend. And Saturday then is lawn day and baseball games and dance performances. You know, the list is endless. Mom is taking a computer course on Tuesdays. Some of dad's clients insist on meeting him for dinner on weeknights and in the rough economy that we live in, you have to do anything, don't you, to keep your job. There seems to be two or three of those per week. Perhaps you recognize the family. Perhaps you live next door to that family. Perhaps you are that family. The family that's on the go. The family that's on the fly. The family that when you had children, you thought this is going to be the greatest spiritual opportunity and investment you'll make in your life, but somehow that dream got shifted, and now you just live life not by purpose or God's will or God's direction. You live it by the clock. Getting Johnny here, Janie there, Melissa there. And then we got to get here and there. You know, the American family has fallen victim to the American culture. The American Association research shows, and these are staggering things, and and man, I hope it it just makes you think. Only 34% of American families eat one meal together each day. Now, for some of you, you're going, "Eh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't ever want to eat dinner with my family. Do you know, I think one of the single greatest events in your home on a daily basis is gathering around the meal. I learned this from my wife. My wife was the dinner Nazi at our home. Dude, we would, she would guard that time, protect that time. She would coordinate with three boys in my hectic schedule. And when dinner was on, we were all expected to be there. She understood far more than I did the importance of families eating together. 
I've been filling in in the fifth and sixth grade class. I've had a blast with your children. I have learned a lot about you from your children. They have given me a wealth of sermon material for you from your children. Now, because my wife is the dinner Nazi and, and eating dinner for us is just as normal as together as breathing, even though it gets harder and harder as, as my children have gotten older and older, I, I just, I did not believe the statistic. I will be honest, I did not believe it. And you know, when I asked the fifth and sixth grade class today, and, and there was probably, I think, 16, 17 of them in there today, the percentage was lower than that percentage. Some said, well, yeah, no, we eat dinner, and, and, and we just kind of go to our room and eat. And I'm thinking, no, you have a wonderful opportunity to invest in the lives of your children around the dinner table. It's an awesome time. Some of our greatest memories are wrapped up around our, our dinner table. The average father spends eight to 10 minutes a day with his children. You say, no, 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 pastor, honestly, I got little Johnny right with me as I'm watching ESPN. That's not it, baby. This is uninterrupted. I'm entering your world. I'm focusing on you. I want to connect with you eight to 10 minutes a day. One of the great moms ever was Susanna Wesley. Mother of John and Charles. She would spend one hour each week alone with each of her children. She had 19. There's a mom who understands the value of time together. All I'm saying is that somewhere we started off with this great idea of what we were going to do and God was going to do with our family. And then somewhere we got bit by the American culture. And now, unless we make drastic changes in the structure of our home, you'll spend more time with Charles Gibson, Sean Hannity, the short guy, I can't think of his name on CNN. Wolf Blitzer. Then you do with your children. Only 12% of America's families pray together. What do you do with your children? It's a great thing. I'm not talking about, and I understand when our children are little, it starts with kind of, you know, the simple childlike prayer. But I'm talking about as they get older. What can I pray for you about? I regularly ask my boys, what can I pray for you about? And since my kids are grown and almost married and the other two are away at college, sometimes I pray with them on the phone and other times I'll pray and try to follow up on that as, as quickly as possible. Only 12% of American families pray together. And then the average couple only spends four minutes of uninterrupted time together a day. You did better than that when you were dating. 
And somehow we thought when we got married, we would have hours and hours of life to live together, but four minutes of uninterrupted. And I know what you ladies are thinking. You know, I talked to my husband and the TV's on. Ladies, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm going to let you enter man world here. If the TV's on and you're talking, guess who we listen to? We listen to the TV. Four minutes a day when the phone doesn't ring, the text doesn't have to be responded to, the email's not going on. You're not just kind of shuffling in and out, kind of getting the groceries out of the car, kind of life and living stuff. I mean, four minutes of uninterrupted time together. Research also shows that adults regard the family as their most satisfying aspect of life. It's significant to them, yet families are not finding significance in it. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of the activities that I gave you of the Morgan family. There's nothing wrong with baseball for your high school son. There's nothing wrong with dance lessons for your daughter. But when they control the home instead of God's purpose for your home controlling the home, something's got to change. We have to just kind of own up and say, you know what? In our country where we believe the lie that you can have it all, you may be able to have it all, but you will not be able to do it all. So as a parent, you have to sift through what can be done and focus on what should be done according to God's purpose for your house. Whether you're a single man, a single woman, and all of those things I mentioned earlier. In the midst of it all, they lost significance that Christ has made them to be. Matter of fact, they're all searching for significance in the wrong place. Eric is trying to find significance in baseball. Janie through her dance. Melissa's trying to be like Janie. Mom's trying through working and caring for her children and, and dad through providing for their family. They're all doing fine things. But the core, the center, the anchor of that family unit Man, it just isn't necessarily the best. Would you let's visit God's first family? Would you go to in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect love relationship. The kind that God intended for every man and every woman to have. God gave them the whole world to enjoy, and yet they struggled. We don't know how long it was before they sinned, but Adam and Eve had that, that uh, relationship that God intended for them. God intended for one man and one woman to share one lifetime together. Uh, by the way, I do not watch like the Miss America or Miss Universe beauty contest thing, whatever it was, but I do appreciate what Miss California said. We believe that God's plan is for one man and one woman to live together in one, for one lifetime. Now, if you've gone through divorce, I'm not here to beat you over the head. You've already experienced enough guilt and gone through that. I'm just saying where your house is now, let's lift the principles and, and, and make it work for where you're at. 
Look at verse 23 and following in Genesis chapter 2. Back up to verse 22. Then, then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of a man. You say, you believe God did that? Yeah. You say, why would he take a rib? Well, I'm glad he didn't take a foot because, guys, God never intended you to walk all over your wife. And I'm glad he didn't take a hand because, guys, God never meant for you to be dominant or domineering or treat her with a high hand. This is not very... And you guys know me. I'm not like this real touchy-feely guy, and I'm not proud of that. This is about as emotional as I'm going to get today. I I think he took it from the rib because that was the closest thing to Adam's heart. Go ahead and go, ah. And I'm telling you, next to your relationship with Jesus Christ, your wife ought to be the closest thing to your heart. And if she is... And if your husband is, or your future spouse will be, then you better guard that heart and that place in your heart. So God created a woman out of the rib of Adam. Man, what you talk about waking up from a good nap? Dude, that must have been some wake-up call he got. All of a sudden, there's Eve. Beautiful. Gorgeous vivacious, wonderful, perfect for him. And Adam was so moved by this, and it doesn't really communicate well in the English, but I am told, and I can read a little bit of Hebrew, but I'm told in the Hebrew, this is wonderful poetry. Guys, it is still okay to be romantic and poetic and smooth with your wife. And the lady said, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And I know what you ladies are thinking. Don't say that, buddy. Uh Uh-uh. But it was wonderful poetry. Speaks of intimacy and passion and commitment in that Hebrew. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. One flesh, not two people living in the same house, not married singles. They will become one flesh. They will have a relationship of the spirit in the presence of God. They will have a relationship of the heart, an emotional one. They'll have a one flesh relationship physically. Sex is now sanctioned and approved and blessed by God in the context of marriage. And then, God adds to that socially and mentally. Look at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They had perfect intimacy. And by the way, guys, that doesn't mean sex. They had perfect oneness. They were perfect physically, emotionally, socially, mentally, and spiritually. They walked with God. They were balanced and totally committed and totally given 
to each other and to God. God promised Adam and Eve great blessings. They could have the run of the garden. God would be with them, watch over them, walk with them, travel life with them. We don't know how long it was until Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, but the devil using language filled with deception and selfishness. Selfishness enticed Eve. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God, by the way, uh, I don't do snakes at all. I admire some of you went to the movie Snakes on a Plane. I don't even want to see snakes in a box. If I ever saw a snake, you can take care of it. And if I ever see a talking snake, I promise you I'll have a heart attack right there and go on to be with the Lord. You must not eat of any tree in the garden. Drop down to verse 4. The serpent's part of the conversation. You will not surely die. Adam and Eve kind of responded. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree. And because of their disobedience, the entire character and nature of mankind, yours and mine, was totally changed forever. Fellowship with God was lost and sin and selfishness per- permanently stained our existence. And selfishness was easy to spot. Matter of fact, when God came and, and tried to, you know, bring some reconciliation to this matter, God approached Adam first. And you can see selfishness really come to the forefront. And Adam said, God, it's not my fault. It's that woman you gave me. Eve said, no, God, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent in the garden you fixed for us. Isn't that what selfishness does? Selfishness makes what should be about God about me. What should be about his purpose and his plan, about my wants and and my desires. Adam and Eve had this big issue with selfishness. The husband blamed the wife and God and the wife blamed her circumstances. Over the next couple of weeks, whether you're married or single or, or, or somewhere in between, I want to try to give you God's top 10 for your marriage. They'll either be top 10 things to work on, top 10 things to fix, top 10 things to address, top 10 things for you to know. Somehow it'll just be kind of something of importance to God. And today's top 10 list is still the number one problem in marriages today, and it's selfishness. You might as well amen, we're all guilty. Man, that thing that caused Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the uh, unforbidden, the Forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, selfishness, the desire to be like God, is the same thing that motivates us, pushes us, almost at times dominates us today. This idea of selfishness. By the way, I haven't figured out how to get this into a wedding ceremony yet, but the first one on the list, I'll put it in the form of a commandment. Thou shalt not be a selfish pig. Go ahead and say it with me. Thou shall not 
be a selfish pig. Now I want you to elbow your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend and I want you to go, honey, this one's for you right here. All right? We all struggle with this stain of selfishness. Ed Young refers to this as pigitis. And I don't know if you've ever seen a pig pen. And I was a city boy. I saw my first pig pen down on Aunt Betty's farm. And it was a great, wonderful experience that just permeates all your senses, you know. If you're a city kid like me, basically you eat breakfast instead of throwing the, the leftovers away and putting down the garbage disposal or throwing the trash can, you put it in this five-gallon bucket and, and, and you throw it there, put a lid on it and just set it outside the back door. Lunch comes and, and whether they're apple peels or whether they're banana peels or whether it's uh, leftover sandwiches or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, doesn't matter, whatever's left over, boom, out in this bucket. Leftover milk goes there, tea, Pepsi, whatever, just kind of goes in this bucket. Leftover Cheerios, man, it's great. Remember the show Fear Factor where they put all this stuff, you know, and they put it and then they blend it up, you know, have to drink it down. That's the idea of the slop bucket without the blender. If you had hamburger, steak, chicken, whatever for dinner, whatever the leftovers, it goes in the slop bucket. Then you would go down once or twice a day and and with a little bit of cornmeal or whatever it was they kind of added to it, you would take this bucket that has been sitting in a hot sun for most of the day down to the pigs And the little pigtails just start wagging and waving because they're so happy they're getting slop. And then you have to get in there and you throw the slop into the trough. And the pigs go crazy. They are covered in mud. They're covered in muck. They put their nose, I think it's called rooting, I'm not sure, but they'll, they'll root down in there and they'll just put their head in there and then they'll just get this slop all over their face. They will push the other pigs out of the, out of the slop place, out of the slop trough, and they'll keep pushing them to the side so that they could have more and more and more. Man, that sounds like a lot of people in your home, doesn't it? Listen, this thing of selfishness goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and nobody in this room is immune from it. You see, there's three things. There's a couple of great marriage passages in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 is one. Genesis 3 is is just tremendous for the act of original sin. But go to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes this wonderful passage on marriage and the family and about home building And whether you're single or divorced or remarried, this home building. And Paul is writing in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. And boy, it's a tough chapter, I'm telling you. And we'll dig into it over the the weeks to come. But I want to tell you three things that selfish people do. And if you don't get a check on it, man, it's going to ruin your marriage. People who got pigitis. First thing that that they have is people with pigitis, if you want to call it that, reek of insensitivity. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 7, you can read it there in your Bible, Paul provides a model of what sensitivity should look like. He says, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Two contrasting words take the spotlight in the verse, foolish and understanding. 
Two contrasting words, yet the verse tells us that foolish follows a lack of understanding and understanding depends on sensitivity. Peter would write to husbands that we are to live with our wives that we may know her. I'm pretty sure at some point in time during the series, you're going to get a test, a husband and wife test. How well you know your spouse, her favorite store, her favorite song, the color of her eyes. Some of you guys just went. See, sometimes we think just being with is good enough. You have to have quantity time, just time together. More than eight to ten minutes a day, dad, with your kids. More than four minutes a day, husbands and wives, with each other. You have to have that quantity time, but you also have to have that quality time. And to maximize the quality time, you have to live in understanding. you got to know what makes one another tick understanding. Don't be foolish and live in, in, in blissful ignorance. Understanding depends on sensitivity. We need it in our relationships. And sensitivity means seeking to understand the other person's thoughts, feelings, and needs. And insensitivity is a classic sign of pigitis. Another sign of pigitis is sloppy time choices. Do you see it right there? I think it's in verse 16. It says, redeeming the time. This is in the King James. If you had the King James Bible, I, I like the way it's worded there. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeem means literally to buy out. To buy up the opportunities that come to us. Now, I like to, I like to play golf. I understand that if you're going to play golf, if you're going to get good at golf, you got to play golf. I would really like to be good at golf. I just don't have the time to get really good at golf. For years, when, before I came to Kirby, man, I dreamed, I prayed, God, send me to a church. Lord, let me have a church that has a softball team. God, I want to play softball. Now, you got to remember, I came here 17 years ago, okay? And I did, man. I wanted to be on a softball team. And so God gave me a church with the softball teams. We now have three. And then he also gave me children. And now I was faced with a choice. Played softball, which, man, I'm telling you, I prayed. I'm not saying that to get a pastoral little lap. I mean, I prayed. Or spending time with my kids. So I didn't want to be one of those eight to ten minute a day dads. I wanted to make right time choices. And invest in my kids, invest in my wife, invest in my home. And that's hard to do. Because man, everything pulls at you, doesn't it? It does. And sometimes we just make so, such poor time choices. One man recently told me in our church, I struggle with selfishness in our marriage. 
in the area of my leisure time. I grew up loving sports and would spend hours watching it on TV. Early in our marriage, I noticed that many of my nights was not spent with my wife, but was spent with ESPN. I can't begin to tell you how many couples I talk to say that they drifted apart simply because one or both of the partners became too busy to make time for their relationship. And I know many husbands and many wives that live in two different worlds. They're married people, but they act like they're single. The final kind of thing I want to throw at you, it's right here in Ephesians 5, is stubbornness. Now, I know we don't have any stubborn people in the house today. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. We even call it pig-headedness, don't we? (laughs) You're so pig-headed, you heard that phrase? I have. Nowhere do we see pig-headedness more clearly than Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Paul uncovers this when he writes, You wives submit to your husbands. And the husbands say, Amen. Amen. King of the castle kind of stuff. Amen. Rule the household kind of stuff. Amen. Do you know this verse has been preached wrong for years? Now the women go, amen. You know, I know what's going to happen here. Husbands are going to get a little louder. The wives are going to get a little louder. Do you understand what he's saying? You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. It says wives submit to your husbands. I understand that. Because God knew that the idea of submitting which is honoring here in the text, that the wife's, the hardest thing you will do over a lifetime for your husband is to show him honor in a meaningful way that communicates honor to him. The text, the defining verse of submission is not in verse 22, it's in verse 21. And we always read 22 without hitting verse 21. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for God submit to one another now how do you take submit to one another and then wives submit to your own husbands it's it's just a more specific way of saying verse 21 the general principle is this is that we're to lay aside our stubbornness and our own self-will we're to lay aside that stubbornness that characterizes our fallen nature And to consider the needs of others. Sometimes this includes the husband submitting to his wife so that he can be the man of God he needs to be to meet her need that she has in that moment. No. No better or more harmonious marriages exist than when verse 21 is lived out in the home where there's this mutual submission not to see who's stubborn and gives gives in first or gets their way, but so that we can build a home together that honors God and reaches God's purposes. Insensitivity, sloppy time choices, Stubbornness. 
So I want to say a word to you stubborn pigs here this morning. For you pigs who've made sloppy time choices, I want to speak to you. For those of you who are insensitive pigs, I want to say a quick hello to you. Where do you start? Where do we begin? I, I think an awesome place to begin in going back in the right direction is to pray and ask God for forgiveness and direction. Don't be one of the 12% of Americans that pray together. Add to that total. Maybe you need to go to your wife or wives need to go to your husbands. You just say, you know what, I, I really just kind of apologize for this whole deal kind of thing. And let's begin praying together today. Don't guilt trip about the past. Just go kind of from day forward. Ask God to speak to your heart. And then ask God to give you a genuine love for your spouse, for those in your house. You say, man, that's kind of hard to get back on track. The Bible lays out some, some clear tracks for us. The first obligation is to husbands, love your wives. That's, on, that's obvious from Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible instructs both husband and wife to love one another. And unfortunately, some of you have trouble with that mandate. So if you can't love your husband as husband and wife, then the second level of our track may be a little bit easier. Love your mate as a fellow believer. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Again, in the context of husbands and wives, but also honoring and recognizing that your wife, your spouse, could also be a believer in Jesus Christ. You say, I don't know, that's still a little hard for me to do. Then love your mate as your neighbor. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 33. You say, you know, that's still kind of like a tall order, preacher. You got any other suggestions? Matthew chapter 5 verse 24 says, love your enemies. You see, here's the bottom line. If you can't love her as an enemy, a neighbor, a fellow believer, or as a spouse, you got a whole lot more going on in your home than marital issues that need to be addressed. But the place to start is coming to God and having that right relationship with God so that you can have a right relationship with others. Hey, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And except the house be built by the Lord, they labor in vain that builds it. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, in the next few moments, would you allow us just to be honest before you, right there where we stand, Maybe it's time for husbands just to reach over and grab a wife's hand, the wife to grab the husband's hand, and just to mutually submit to one another in this moment and just simply pray together for God's blessings in their home. Maybe it's time for a single man or a single woman to, to just simply slip their hand into your hand and say, God, I will honor you and I will follow your best as you and I build the house together. Father, my prayer is that we start today by praying, by seeking your face. And I know there's a lot of folks in here that have issues and troubles. And Father, I don't want to minimize it, but the very greatest place they can start 
is spending time in your presence, confessing sin, loving you, confessing the sin of stubbornness and insensitivity and poor time choices so that they can invest in the greatest resource that you've ever given to us. Now, by the way, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I wonder if you're here and you just take a first step. I don't care whether you've been married 50 years, five years, or five days. Man, if you just are ready to take this kind of first step, and I just want you to be honest with me. Here's what I want you to do. Right there where you stand, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're married, man, would you pray for your home or your future home? Right there where you stand. And I'm going to pray for my home. I'm going to pray out loud for my home. And then when I'm done praying, I want to say amen. Just keep your heads bowed. And if you prayed with your spouse, I just want you to raise your hand. So I'm going to pray very shortly. Father, I love my family, love my wife, and I love my boys. And for me, it's really a, a tough age. Not because of what they're doing, but just because of all the shifting in roles. My firstborn son graduates in two weeks from college. I'm so thrilled, so proud. My middle son is getting married to a wonderful girl at the end of the month. My baby boys, half a country away in Texas, going to school. Terry and I have had to trust you more to watch over our children. And I just ask your blessings on them. That you would continue to have your hand on them, that they would be men of God. That at the end of the day, for us, for Terry and I, it's not a matter of how much money they make. At the end of the day, it's about how godly they live. Help us to know how to let go. It's tough. Sometimes I think we do that pretty good, and other times we just mess it up. And Lord, for all these years... We've been kind of the blessing to our children. Now we've been given the responsibility to bless our children as we release them to life. And that whole letting go thing's tough for me. You know it. So I just ask you, bless our home. And these critical transitional times of their lives help us to be a, a model of godliness and steadfastness to the principles of your word. Now that's my prayer for my family. 
And if you right there prayed for your family, your future family, nobody's looking around, would you just raise your hand? All over the building. Oh, that's incredible. That's awesome. If you'll look this way, I understand that there are times when life is just tough for families. And maybe you need somebody to talk to. Don, Tommy, or I would be glad to talk with you. We truly would and will. I just also want to make you aware of a tremendous resource in our church. And his name is Jeff Caldwell. And Jeff is in the back somewhere to the side. There you are. Hey, would you just kind of loop up front since everybody's standing and just come up? I want them to see your face. It's not that pretty of a face, but at least I want them to see your face. And this is Jeff. And I'm telling you, if you need somebody to, to counsel you and your family, again, Don and Tommy and I would love to do it. He's just so much better at it. And, um, and we can put you in touch with him or you can get in touch, touch with us. And I want you to see his face. Can anybody see, kind of see him down there? Okay, that's, that's enough. You can go back now. Yeah, get out of here. And, uh, and so, man, during these couple of weeks that we're going to be in this series, man, take advantage of that. You know, for some of you who've been married a long time, you've been on this earth a long time, but you still go to the doctor for a checkup, right? And sometimes I think it's good just to sit down with somebody as a couple and say, hey, I just want to, just, I'm just here for a checkup. Let somebody ask some questions, speak into your life so that you can be open and transparent before the Lord and with each other, okay? So we want to do that. And I know I'm long and I've just totally shot the whole time sequence out of whack here. So what I wanted to do is I want the ushers to come forward. We're going to receive our Sunday morning tithes and offerings. I'm just going to give announcements and as soon as I'm done with the announcements and they're done with the offering, um, we'll, be able to, we'll be able to go. God's top 10 for your marriages is what we're going to be talking about and for your home, for your house over the next couple of weeks. If you're a guest with us today, this part of the service isn't for you. But for those of you who do go here and consider this your home church, be faithful in giving. It just helps us to, to minister uh, to so many. Father, bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated real quick while the fellows take the offering. Please listen to the announcements. If you, if you uh, joined the church today, God bless you. We are so glad to have you as part of the family. And uh, we've got a gift for you to the information desk on to the right. If everybody will just kind of stay with me, be very quiet. The next thing I want to tell you is two opportunities that you have. One is Dr. Tomorrow's Robot Fix-It Shop. There it is. Isn't that cool? I'm going to take a break for the summer because I've always wanted to be a children's pastor. So I'm going to go and, and with a group of volunteers, we're going to give our whole staff on Wednesday nights, Sunday school and everybody, not Sunday school, but our whole Wednesday night staff, we're just going to give them the summer off. And we're going to do Dr. Tomorrow's Robot Repair Shop. 
and we're going to use technology, we're going to use lots of fun, a lot of exciting things, great music to teach God's eternal truth, how God wants to use their bodies for his service. And we're all about helping kids, showing kids God's love and, and helping kids love the church. Kind of learned that this week. It was really cool. And so if you're interested in Dr. Tomorrow's, it's new. We are going to have life group meetings on Mondays to get set up for Wednesdays. We're going to pray together, pray for the kids. Uh, there'll be a lot of stuff to get ready. And, and, and if, you have, if you need a place to connect and you love kids, now if you don't love kids, see Don. Go to his small group, all right? But if you love kids and want to give, if you want a first kind of place to jump in, it's a 10-week uh, uh, commitment, actually a little bit more because of the life groups from May to the end of August. Um, but man, if you want a place to jump in, get to know people, make a difference, I don't know of any greater mission field than our children, and so I want to invite you to do that. God, and one, another thing that's coming up that I just want to throw out there, what if, what if for those of you who are laid off or have lost your job, those of you who just have time that you could take off, wouldn't it be great if we could get about 12 guys to go to Battle Creek, Michigan? They're buying a church, our mission church is buying a church, and they are going to do some renovation. What if we, a bunch of guys could just, if some of you had RVs, you would loan us your RVs for the week, we'd live in them, and our tents, and we would go down there and just help gut the building and build the the uh, foyer for them is about a 20 by 26 kind of deal. It's all rotted out. It's pretty nasty. And, uh, and the flooring and the, the walls are up. It's block walls and furrow it out. Furrow it out. I think that's how you say it. And put the trusses and the roof on that thing. And, uh, and man, we could save that mission church just a lot of money. There's other churches that are going to do the same thing throughout the summer. But man, if we could get in, because we have the talent, we have the skill level of guys in our church to do that. If you're interested in that, I mean, if you think you are interested in that, Okay, I need you just to rip off the fellowship communication card. Doesn't mean you're signing it up, but at least just put your name and a phone number on there that just lets me know, hey, I might be interested if it works out in my schedule and our time and, and I can make it work in my work schedule and all of that, I'm interested. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm interested. Let me know. And, uh, and we think it'd be great. And uh, college annex students, man, it's a great opportunity for you as well. And, uh, and we're going to go down there, work like dogs, and, and we need wildcats to go with us and cook food, and, and we're going to have kind of prayer walks, and we're going we're gonna to do other things. Hopefully Friday night we can have this big block party and, and, and let, invite folks in the neighborhood just to come, and we'll cook maybe dinner for them that night, hamburgers, hot dogs, that kind of thing, and they can already start getting used to Jeff Isaac and the, that church and and, uh, and help facilitate some things for them. And so it's going to be more than building, but building's going to be kind of at the core. If that even remotely sounds, men and women, families, or annex group, teenagers as well, if that sounds like something you'd like to do, we're looking at the first, second week of June, kind of in the time frame, would you just scribble your name down on the uh, friendship communication card, on some card, get it to me, that will be great. And I have totally messed the whole time frame up for the service. You now have 12 minutes to get your children and move on with life today. God bless you. Have a great day. Turn around and shake hands with somebody quickly as you exit the building.